Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It's nice seeing you all and here in God's house of worship. Especially nice having our ladies back that were on their women's retreat. Uh, last Sabbath, we really missed you. Our potluck really missed you. And, uh, but it's really nice having every one of you back. It really is. Let me just get this set up here. You are truly missed. We had a guest speaker. Okay, before we begin, shall we have this, if you don't mind, just, just bow and have a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, what a privilege it is to be in your house today, to worship you in song, as we've been doing, and, and word, as Robbie has shared with us. I ask that you be upon uh, me now as I present your message, because truly everything that presented today comes from your word and the spirit of prophecy. Nothing comes from me at all. Uh, I ask that you would forgive us of any sins that uh, we might have committed this week. Let there be nothing, Lord, that would keep your presence and your Holy Spirit from being here. We need your presence. We need your Holy Spirit. We need you to change our hearts and our minds into your beautiful image and character and that is our prayer, Lord. And we just thank you so much. Please be with those that are sick. Please be with Paul's sister. Please continue to be with Julie and also to be with the pastor's granddaughter's uh, family as well, Lord, because there are so many needs out there. But we know you're the great physician and we trust you in all things and we love you. And it's just such a blessing to be in your house on your holy day. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, it's really nice to see everybody here. It really is. Uh, you notice the trees are in full color, and it's really beautiful. Uh, I was wondering if we were even going to get a, a colorful fall this year. You remember in August, that was the last time I spoke, and uh, our subject was the Great Controversy. And uh, my plan today, or I stated back then that today would be, my next time I speak would be the Great Controversy Part 2. And, uh, and that's what today's subject is, but because it was such a long time ago, I'm sure many of you have forgotten uh, the Great Controversy Part 1, and I don't fault you for that. I would have the same kind of a brain, I'm telling you. And, uh, and I know many of you weren't even here for that. So I decided that it would, it would be better because there's no sense going to Part 2 if you really don't fully grasp Part 1. So I'm going to cover the highlights of Part 1, Okay. And the subject is the Great Controversy. And I find this one of the most fascinating subjects that the Adventist uh, Church has. And if you, and just again, I'm just going to cover some major highlights, okay? But as you know, if you ask most Adventists what the Great Controversy is all about, most Adventists would tell you, well, it's a war between good and evil, which is true, it is. Or they might say, well, it's a battle between Christ and Satan. And again, it is. But what we're looking for is what is it about? What is the heart of the great controversy? And so that's today's message. And, uh, and I want to read something from the great controversy, page 582. 
from the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven, which we all know where it started, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God, and it was to accomplish this, in which he entered upon his rebellion. So, in the great controversy, it's all about Satan trying to overthrow God's law. And we have to ask ourselves, well, why? You know, why would Lucifer, a created being, uh, a most powerful angel, one of the covering cherubs, right next to the throne of God, want to overthrow God's law? And the Bible tells us that Lucifer became very puffed up because of his brightness and his beauty and his wisdom. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 17, we find this. Thine Lucifer heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, Thou hast corrupted their wisdom because of thy brightness. So Lucifer was very smart, he was very beautiful, and he was a very bright angel. And because of that, he became puffed up in his heart. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, we are told, how art, thou, how art thou fallen from heaven? In other words, how did this happen, Lucifer? You know, why did this happen? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? And this is what we are told in Isaiah. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into a heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. So Satan became so puffed up that he actually wanted to be God. In fact, the real purpose of uh, Satan's purpose was actually to dethrone God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to exalt his thrones above the stars of God. And we're told in Desire of Ages, page 57, it wasn't until the time at Calvary that Satan manifested his malignity of his hatred against God. And he made it evident that his real purpose of his rebellion was to dethrone God and to destroy Him, which is Jesus, through whom the, the love of God was shown. Isn't that amazing? A created angel, wisdom, bright, beautiful, which would be so puffed up that he would actually seek to dethrone God and to take His place. And, and how did Lucifer plan on doing this? We're told in Review and Herald, March 9th, 1886, it has been Satan's work, it, I'm sorry, Satan's work has ever been to find fault with the law of God. Amazing. So, from the very beginning of the great controversy, Satan's whole purpose was to overthrow God's law. And why did he want to overthrow God's law? Because he wanted to be God himself. And Satan knew that God's law, as we already studied in our last sermon, I can't go into all the, all the details, but as you know, that the law is what? It's a transcript of God's very character himself. In fact, when you study the Bible and you look at the law, the Bible says the law is love, and the Bible says God is love. The Bible says God is righteous, the Bible says the law is righteous. The law, God is just, and the Bible says the law is just. And you can go right down a big list, and you find out that the law is actually a mirror of the character of God. And Satan knew that if he could just overthrow God's law, if he could find fault with it, then he could overthrow God. And that was his plan. And it's amazing how, it's sad really if you think about it, how many Adventists, us, 
the people of God, who even have the book, The Great Controversy, don't even fully even understand that. And we don't even preach much about it. And we should, because it's very important. And it's going to come back to you and me. And so while Lucifer was in heaven, we're told in The Great Controversy, page 495, that Lucifer went forth to diffuse the spirit of discontent among the angels in heaven. And he endeavored to excite dissatisfaction concerning the laws that govern heavenly beings, intimidating that they impose an unnecessary restraint. Since their natures were holy, he urged that the angels should obey the dictates of their own will, and he sought to create sympathy for himself. And sadly to say, I don't have to tell you, that one-third of the angels bought his lie, joined his side, and as a result of that, you all know that there was a war in heaven, Revelation tells us, and one-third you know how many angels there are? One-third of the angels were cast out of heaven along with Lucifer to this earth. And do you think that Lucifer would have learned his lesson and stopped his rebellion? No, no. No, no. The rebellion continued. And we're told this in Great Controversy, page 582. And though he, Satan, was cast out of heaven to the earth, he continued the same warfare to do what? Overthrow God's law, and what? To find fault with it. He sought to overthrow God's law upon the earth, and he so he sought to deceive men and thus lead them to trans God's, transgress God's law as well. And I don't have to tell you, was he successful? Was Satan successful in causing man to sin upon the earth? Absolutely. Sadly so. In fact, the Bible couldn't be any clearer that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, 23, we're told that all have what? Sinned. All. Everybody. There is none that is righteous. There is no, not one. And so Satan did do exactly what he sought to do. And it didn't look very good. It didn't look very good. And as a result of Satan causing not only Adam and Eve to fall, but all the sons and daughters, including you and me, we've all fallen as well. Satan made a very nasty declaration. And he wanted the whole universe to see this. Because in the great controversy, the whole universe is watching. All the unfallen angels and all the unfallen universe. And we're told this in First Selected Messages, page 252. After the fall of man, Satan declared that human beings were proved to be incapable of keeping God's law. And not only that, he also made this accusation in Signs of Times. I'm just going to give you the quote, January 16, 1896. Everything I give you, I want you, this is not coming for me. I can back everything I'm saying up with the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. And it's very important that we understand what the great controversy is all about. Satan declared that it was impossible for the sons and daughters of Adam to keep the law of God. Who are the sons and daughters of Adam? Us, Right? And thus charged upon God a lack of wisdom and love. If the sons and daughters of Adam could not keep the law, then pay attention. Then there was fault with the lawgiver. So Satan says, ah, I got you, God. He was seeking to overthrow God's law. And he was trying to find fault with God's law. And he found it right here in this little blue planet. People who were created in the very image of God himself. None of us kept God's law. And as a result of that, Satan made a declaration to God and to the whole universe. 
man, it is impossible for them to keep it, and, 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 they, and they just can't do it. It's impossible. They can't do it. Oh, my thing is fighting me here. So you have to understand that this is the very, this comes down to the very heart of the great controversy. In the heart of the great controversy, it comes down to this point. Did God give a law that we couldn't keep? That's where it comes down to. If Satan is right, then it doesn't look very good for God. But if Satan's a liar, then it's a whole other subject. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard somebody say that the law can't be kept? Now, I will admit, in of yourself, it is impossible. In of yourself. But with God, nothing is impossible. Okay? So I want to make that clear. Now, after Satan had accomplished this, and the whole human race had fallen in sin, and he made his declaration, we have to admit, in the great controversy, it appears that Satan was right. You have to admit it. It appears that Satan was right because none of us could did keep God's law. And I want to read this statement in First Selected Messages, page 252. Satan's words appear to be true. And right? That, he, that was impossible for us to keep God's law. And so, and thus charge upon God a lack of wisdom and love. If they, that means us, could not keep the law, then there was fault with the lawgiver. Amen? So again, he was seeking to find fault with the lawgiver, and since we couldn't keep it, it looks like God is not only the, um, give us a law that we couldn't keep, but it also looks as if God is the author of our own demise, if you will. And then we're told this in First Selected Messages, page 252, and he, Satan, sought to carry the whole universe with him in this belief. So the whole universe was watching. Satan says, look, none of them can keep it. None of them can keep it. It's impossible for them to keep. God is unjust. He gave a law to human beings that they couldn't even keep. And because human beings have not kept God's law, Satan charged upon God a lack of wisdom and love. If they could not keep the law, then there was fault with the lawgiver because God is the one who gave the law. And you have to ask yourself, what was God's response to all of Satan's accusations? So without going through tons of scripture, I'm just going to go through some. That while in heaven, the heavenly trio got together and it was decided that Christ would become a human being. He would become one of the sons of Adam. And he would prove that the law could be kept and could be kept perfectly to show that Satan is a liar in the great controversy. And that's why we're told in the Bible in Galatians 4.4 that Jesus would be made of a woman made under the law. So Jesus' human nature was created. Not his divine nature, that wasn't created, but his human nature was created. He would be of the seed of David through human descent. We're told that in Romans 1.3. So Jesus would become a full human being. Now, not through literal seed. Mary actually was a descendant of David, and through that is how Christ... Christ's father was God, right? But the DNA had to be human. 
He would be tempted at all points like we are in Revelation 4.15. You see, friends, Jesus, who is the Son of God, also became the Son of Man for you and me. To prove in a great controversy that Satan is a liar and that God did in fact give a law that human beings could keep. And I want to read something to you. It's found in three selected messages, page 129. He, Jesus, came into our world to maintain a pure, sinless character and to refute Satan's lie that it was not possible for human beings to keep God's law. So you see, when Jesus came, he had to deal with the sins that were already committed. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he takes your sins and he dies for your penalty and you stand before God as if you never sinned. But there's more to the story, and we'll get to it. But the other reason that Jesus came was to prove, I mean, I mean, if it was just to do that, there might have been other ways to do the way he did it. But the fact that he had to become a human being and go through the temptations that we went through is to prove that Satan is a liar in the great controversy. We're told this, it's very interesting, we're told this in Desire of Ages, page 24. Satan represents the law of God as the law of selfishness. He declares that it is impossible for us to obey its precepts. And he charges upon God as the author of sin and suffering and death. Jesus was to unveil this deception. As one of us, he was to give an example of of obedience. For this, he took upon himself our nature and passed through our experiences. In all things it behooved him to be like unto his brethren. Hebrews 2, 17. If we had anything, brothers and sisters, which Jesus did not endure, then upon this point would represent the power of God as insufficient for us. Therefore, Jesus was in all points tempted alike as we are. Hebrews 4, 15. He endured every trial to which we are subject, and he exercised in his own power no power that is not freely offered to us, As a man, he met temptation. Do you see the great controversy? Do you see it? In reviewing Herald, February 24th, 1874, we're told this. What love, what amazing condensation. The king of glory proposed to hum himself to fallen humanity. He would place his feet in Adam's steps. Listen to this. He would take man's fallen nature... And engage to cope with the strong foe who triumphed over Adam. So what nature did Jesus take? Fallen or unfallen? Fallen. He became just like you and me. He became just like the sons of Adam after the fall. Because Adam and Eve didn't have children until after the fall. And he came to prove that the law can be kept and that the law can be kept perfectly. He came not only to die on the cross, he came to show that Satan is a liar and that God did, in fact, give a law that can be kept. Amen? Amen. Now, you have to ask yourself, well, what was Lucifer's response? I mean, certainly Lucifer would under, had, had heard what was going on, what God's plan was. Okay? And this is what we're told. It's very interesting. It's found in early writings, page 152. This was Satan's reaction when he heard what Jesus was planning on doing. Satan rejoiced with his fallen angels that he could, by causing man's fall, pull down the Son of God from his exalted position. Now listen to this. 
He told his angels, that's the fallen angels, that when Jesus should take fallen man's nature, he could overpower him. Do you see the great controversy? It's important that you understand the great controversy. It's much more than a battle between just good and evil. We need to understand what the reason, what the heart of it is. And it all comes down to, did God give a law that can be kept or not? And Satan saw that in this battle that he was going to have with Christ, Satan saw that he must either conquer or be conquered. This is in Desire of Ages, page 116. The issues of the conflict involve too much to be entrusted to his confederate angels. He must personally conduct a warfare. All the energies of apostasy were railed against the Son of God. Christ was made the work of every weapon of hell. And you can believe that when Satan came after Christ, he came after much more than it, that we ever had to go through in this great controversy. Everything was at stake right here. If he can cause Christ to fall, then he would prove that God's law was unjust and that nobody can keep it. Because here Christ came to be just like one of us. And since the whole world, all of sons and daughters of Adam fell, he thought for sure, he thought for sure he can cause Jesus to fall when he took the same nature as us. And some people will wonder, well, when did this battle actually start? I mean, did it start when he was 13? Did it start uh, when he was, got baptized? I mean, when did the temptation really start with Christ? And you will find that it started just like you and me from the time he was a babe. And I'm going to read this to you. Desire of Ages, page 116. From the time when, when he was a babe in Bethlehem, he was continually assailed by the evil one. In the counsels of Satan, it was determined that he should be overcome. No human being had come into this world and escaped the power of the deceiver. The forces of the confederacy of evil were set upon his track to engage in the warfare against him and, and if possible, prevail over him. So you can see, my brothers and sisters, there is a lot at stake in the great controversy and what Jesus did for us. It was more just to come to die on a cross for us, as great and beautiful as that is. And I don't have to tell you who won the great controversy argument here. I don't have to tell you, because we're told in Hebrews 14, that although Jesus was tempted with all, in all points, yet he was without what? Sin. Jesus proved that Satan was a liar and that the law can be kept, that we could keep God's law. And some people might say, well, you know, I guess that is the great controversy. I guess we can all go home now. But you would be wrong. You would be really wrong. Because not only did Christ come to prove that the law can be kept, Christ says, I'm going to have a people who are fallen and who are going to keep God's law too. You and me are entered into the great controversy as well. The battlefield is still going on right here. And Satan is after you to break, keep continually to break God's law. And how do I know this? Because we're told in Revelation 14, verse 12, as we learned last time, that there is a prophecy of, of, of a group of people in the future, and this is what we are told, here are they that keep the commandments of God and had the faith of Jesus Christ. So the question we have to ask is, since there are going to be a group of people who keep God's law, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be among those people? 
If we continue to sin, do we really think that we're going to be with those people? Do you know that the Bible teaches that any man born of God, and we know that all must be born again, right? Any man born of God does not what? Sin. That's what the Bible says. Jesus told um, Mary Magdalene, go and sin no more. Did he tell Mary Magdalene something that he couldn't do? The Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you. Is that true? Do you believe God's word? Greater is he that is in you than him is in the world. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? You see, you're in a great controversy as well. And it's my belief, brothers and sisters, I really believe from studying the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that it comes down to this. In the judgment day, you know what you're judged by? You're judged by God's law. The Bible says in James 2, 2, So speak you and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So in the judgment day, in the judgment day, I believe that God's going to look at his character of the law, and he's going to look at your character, and he's going to look at them. Are they the same? If they're not the same, then you're a practicing sinner, and God can't take sin into uh, into an unsinful world. Amen? So there has to be a change. There has to be something that has to happen in this life, this probationary time. And truly, we are on probation. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. Again, did Jesus tell us something that we couldn't do? If we're not keeping his commandments, do we love Jesus? Now, I understand that there's a Christian growth. We're growing. and But we're going to get to part two here real quick. Because now we can go into part two. But I really wanted you to understand part one. If nothing else, it's a great refresher. I want to read this statement. It's found in Messages to Young People. And I want to read this to you. It's beautiful. It's a real short. It's really good to read the whole thing. Message to Young People 165. Jesus came to show man how to keep all the commandments of God. Are you aware of that? Jesus came to show you and me how. He didn't just come to die on a cross. He didn't come just to prove that that man could keep the law. He came to show you and me as an example on how to keep it. And if we will just do what he was doing, uh, we can uh, have the same results. Desire of Ages, page 24, as one of us, he was to give us an example of obedience for this he took upon our nature and passed through our experiences. And in three selected messages, page 129, Christ came to live the law in human character in just the way in which all may live the law in human nature, pay attention, if they will do as Christ was doing. Amen? Christ is our pattern. He's our example. We need to study the life of Christ. And you know, you can study the life of Christ very well in the Bible. There's plenty of beautiful statements, but the desire of ages especially expounds on that. And it's a well good book, uh, well, read this good book. And as Robbie read this morning, Revelation 3.21, Jesus says himself, Overcome even as I overcame. Now, do you believe it? We have to believe it. Everything's at stake in a great controversy. You're in a great controversy too. You're either going to vindicate God or you're going to join Satan's ranks. 
There's no middle ground. Either you're here or you're there. Either you love God and keep His commandments or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's none. And I think this, this subject should be preached loud and wide amongst our own people. We're the people who keep God's law. We're the people who have the great controversy. We should understand it. Amen? And we're told this in Acts of the Apostles, page 531. God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character and His humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil. The Savior showed that through cooperation with divinity, human beings, that you and me, may in this life attain to perfection of character. So, what did Christ show here that we need to what? We need to cooperate with God. We need to cooperate with Him in this plan. You need to understand fully what God, how He wants us to cooperate with Him. If we're going to do what Christ has shown, we must truly study the life of Christ to truly see what Christ is showing us so we can have the overcome as He overcame. We're also told this, and this is found in Review and Herald, June 11, 1901. If we are faithful in doing our part, that is, in cooperating with Him, God will work through us to do His good pleasure of His will, but He cannot work through us if we make no effort. Our part is to put away sin, seek with determination for perfection of character. As we thus work, God cooperates with us. So, we need to cooperate with God. We need to make an effort. We can't just lay back in a chair and say, when you were tempted, oh Lord, remove this temptation from me. And we wonder why the temptation doesn't disappear. It's because you've made no effort. You've got to make an effort. That's what we're told. And that's why we're reading these things. And I want to read something else here. It's beautiful. Uh, let me get here. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, page 482. The work of gaining salvation, do you want to be saved? The work of gaining salvation is one of co-op, um, a joint operation. There is to be a cooperation between God and the repentant sinner. This is necessary for the formation of right principles in the character. Man is to make earnest efforts to overcome that which hinders him from attaining to perfection, but he is wholly dependent upon God for the success. Human effort of itself is not sufficient, and without the aid of divine power, it avails nothing. God works, and man works. Resistance of temptation must come from man, who must draw his power from God. On the one side, there is infinite wisdom and compassion and power, and on the other, weakness, sinfulness, helplessness, and helplessness. So, this is not a works salvation that I'm giving you. All I'm saying is that we need to cooperate. We're told here that we need to cooperate with God and we need to make an earnest effort. If not, God can't help you because God's plan is that you must make an earnest effort. And when you've done all that you can, then you reach out to God for, for power. I want to read this. This is one of the most beautiful statements in the spirit of prophecy. I'd love to take this, have it carved in wood and hung on my wall. How earnest... How much effort should you put forth? This says it so beautifully. This is found in Patriarch of Prophets, page 509. The secret of success. Joshua had received the promise that God would surely overthrow these army, the enemies of Israel. 
Yet he put forth, listen, yet he put forth an earnest effort as though success depended upon the armies of Israel alone. He did all that human energy could do, and then he cried for divine aid. The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. Amen? So how, how much effort should you put forth? You have to put forth effort having victory over sin as if victory over sin depended upon you yourself. But you only when you've done everything that you can do, when you've done everything that you can do, then you reach out to God. When God sees that you're making that much effort, He knows that your will is surrendered. He knows that you really want victory, not just half-hearted victory. You bet you made a full heart commitment and when he sees that faith that you exhibit, then he will come in and the, and the battle's over. Amen? I want to read this one statement. We're getting close to being done here. I know I'm wearing you out here with all these statements, but these statements are so beautiful and I want you to see that this, this is divinely inspired message, okay? This is found in Desire of Ages 535. And this is the story where Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the grave. Jesus coming to the grave, Lazarus had been laid in the cave in a rock, and a massive stone had been placed upon the entrance. Jesus said, Take you away the stone, Christ said, and as far as possible, prepare the way for my work. Now listen. Christ could have commanded the stone to be removed, right? He could have just said it and that stone would have, would have moved, and it would have obeyed his voice. He could have bidden the angels who were close by his side to do this. At his bidding, invisible hands would have removed the stone. But listen, but it was to, but it was to be taken away by human hands. Thus Christ would show that humanity is to cooperate with divinity. What human power can do, divine power is not summoned to do. God does not dispense with man's aid. He strengthens him, cooperating with him as he uses the powers and capabilities given to him. Amen? So, it's important that we take what Christ did, these examples, these lessons that God has given his people through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and apply them. We actually have to apply them. And here's the cool thing. If you happen to be struggling with sin in your life, and there are many of you might be. And you've had years and years of not getting the victory. And it seems like God doesn't even exist and there is no power. Do what God says here. Try God. Do exactly what he says as our example. Follow Christ. Do all that you... Even Christ says in his humanity, I of my own self can do what? Nothing. That's what Christ said. Christ depended explicitly explicitly upon his, in his human nature upon his Father for strength. And we can do the same. But you have to make an earnest effort. You have to make an earnest effort. If you have something in your house that keeps pulling you to sin, get it out of your house. When God sees that you're making that big of an effort and, and, you, and you, these thoughts come to your head repeatedly and you keep rejecting them and God sees that you're making a determined effort and then you cry out in faith to Him... He will give you the victory. And this lesson is taught over and over in Scripture. When Jesus came to hear the hill, the paralytic, what did he tell him to do? Pick up your bed, right? Man has something to do. Make an earnest effort. Pick up your bed, have some faith in me, and because of the faith, then Christ healed him. Did the man heal himself? 
No, but he had to make an earnest effort, right? When the blind man came to Christ and he wanted to be healed of his blindness, Christ put mud in his eyes and he told him what? Go and wash in the pools of Salaam, right? Again, there's a cooperation between man and humanity. And you find this lesson taught again and again and again in scriptures. The, the battle at Jericho, what did God tell his people to do? March around the city walls. Did God need him to march around the walls seven times? Could he have just caused those walls to come down like that? He could have, but he didn't because he's following his own rules. He's not going to do what humanity can do. He wants humanity to make an earnest effort, show some faith. And when they did exactly what God said, then God came in, the walls came down. You think God can do the same with sin in our life? Oh, amen. And I want you to experience that. I want you to experience that. Because once you experience that, then you know God is real and this whole gospel becomes so much more powerful and the truths that we have of God's people become so much more alive, brothers and sisters. It's no longer a dead form of formalism. You'll find out that God is very much alive, very much real. He's just waiting for us to cooperate with Him. And I could go on that how Jesus exercised prayer. Prayer is so important. Jesus continually sought uh, his Father in prayer to receive strength to go through the battles of the day. Jesus continually kept his will surrendered, meaning he did what... Now, now we're Seventh-day Adventists. We don't eat pork. We don't eat pork because why? Because God says don't do it. So many of us have surrendered our will a long time ago. We don't eat pork or anything unclean, Right? We put away our will. Many of us were at one time eating pork. I was one. I was not a Seventh-day Adventist until uh, 32 years ago. And uh, praise God. And uh, I surrendered my will on eating pork a long time ago. But we need to surrender a will on all the other things that are sinful in our lives too. You have to be just determined as you was in, in putting away pork or alcohol and the other things that you gave up years ago, you have to do the same with the other sins in your life too. If you just put away those but ignore these, I'm telling you in the end, God's going to look at His law and He's going to look at your character. And as He's going to, Christ is coming back for, for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And you know something else, God. When, and I don't think even we talk much about this, and I wish we would. That you know, God's Jekina glory. God is so holy, so pure that sin can't stand in his presence. You remember the story in the Hebrew sanctuary that even when the, when the priest would go in before the Holy of Holies, when he entered before the Shekinah glory, they put a rope on his leg because if there was sin, guess what? He would fall dead to the ground just like that. And they would pull his body out. Sin and God don't go together. When God comes in contact with sin... God is a consuming fire. And, and I want this to sink deep in your mind right here. When Christ comes back, he comes back in the brightness of his Father and the Holy... And when Christ comes back, it's bright. It's his Shekinah glory. And if there is sin on you, guess what happens? The Bible says they fall as dead men upon the earth. And we need to know that. I'm not trying to scare you. I just think we need to know it. But I also think we need to also put into practice... Uh, how to have victory over sin, I find that extremely important because it doesn't seem like we talk, well, in this church we talk a lot about it, praise God, but I'm not so sure it's talked about enough as much as we should. I'm going to read this statement and I'll have one more then I'll close. 
This is final. First, let me give you the text. Oh, my computer's fighting me. Satan wanted to. All right, here. Uh, Desire of Ages, page 309. The Savior's life of obedience maintained the claims of the law. It proved that the law could be kept in humanity and showed the excellence of character that obedience would develop. If you keep God's law through the, what Christ's examples, it will perfect your character. Because that's what the law is. It's the, God's character. All who obey as he did are likewise declaring that the law is holy, just, and good. Now pay attention. On the other hand, all who break God's commandments are sustaining Satan's claim that the law is unjust and cannot be obeyed, and thus they second the deception of the great adversary and cast dishonor upon God. What side do you want to be on, brothers and sisters, in this great controversy? This great controversy is very serious. Keeping God's law is very serious. Cooperating with God in the process of salvation is very serious. And I believe we need to take time to think about it, study the life of Christ. And if you will, I'd like to have a a closing prayer with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that you have laid these things out so clear that we cannot misunderstand them. I know that you love us. You love every person here. And I pray that it is my commitment, I hope it's your commitment, that you will enter on the side of God, cooperate with God, study the life of Christ, learn how He overcame. We are to overcome even as He overcame. Let us study His life. Do exactly what He has taught us. Let us not enter in on the Satan's end of these things. Don't let the words ever come out of our mouths that the law can't be kept. Yes, in of ourselves it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But yet, although in of ourselves we can't keep it, God has shown us that we must make an earnest effort in faith and put our faith in Him for the victory. This is not a works salvation, Lord, and we know that. And, we, and I pray, Lord, not only to myself, but to my brothers and sisters here, let us never forget the great controversy and what's going on and the purpose of salvation. I know that you've come not only to justify us, but you came to sanctify us, to make us holy and to perfect your beautiful character into us so you can bring us into your beautiful kingdom amongst holy and beautiful people where there is no sin and sin shall not rise its ugly head a second time. I pray that everyone is here within the hearing of my voice, Lord, will be there. I pray that we will someday stand with those. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and had the faith of Jesus Christ is my prayer. And we know, Lord, that we can't do this of ourselves. We're wholly dependent upon you. But from this day forward, we're going to make an earnest effort, Lord, and then cry out to you in faith is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.